Good evening, Brother White, and good evening, Grace Baptist Church. Again, it's a joy to be able to open up the Bible and to preach the Word of God. It was years ago in the midst of World War II uh, that a housewife in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was, of course, hearing the reports coming back from Europe and from the battlefields uh, of the World War II. And there were uncertain times, and there were a lot of struggles that people were going through. And and she said the newspaper from Pittsburgh was sitting on the table in the kitchen. And, and of course, it carried the accounts of the war. They didn't have the, the breaking news that we have nowadays. And yet, she said, as she was sitting by her table, just reading the recounts of the war, all of a sudden, the clock in the living room began to chime out the hour sound. And, and that sound of the chimes, they just seemed to make a little song in her soul. And pretty soon, out comes the pen and the pad. And, and a housewife wrote it simply like this in the height of World War II. In times like these, we need the Savior. In times like these, we need the Bible. Happy is the man, happy is the lady tonight that can say, I'm very sure my anchor holds and grips the solid rock. My friend, how grateful and thankful I am tonight that the anchor holds and grips the solid rock. God bless you. Let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 12 tonight. Psalm 12, and I'd like to begin reading from Psalm 12 in verse number 1. Of course, there are 150 Psalms in our Bible. Somewhere between 73 to 87 of them were penned by the hand of David. God gave the song to David, and David is the human author that wrote it down. So roughly half of the Psalms, give or take a few, belong to the hand of David. There are many of them where God tells us specifically the event and the story of David's life where the psalm takes place. Of course, there are others where we read, and, and though we don't know for certain, maybe a good guess can be made. There's some clues in the psalm. But there are no clues when you come to Psalm 12. Why, when we open our Bible to Psalm 12, this is a song that would fit in many spots in David's life. We might imagine him looking up at a giant nine and a half to 12 and a half feet tall. And for all the battle of that day, Psalm 12 would fit awfully well. Perhaps David is in another battle, hiding behind a rock, and, and the forces are coming against him. Why, this would fit when David was trapped in a cave running for his life. David knew a lot about caves, didn't he? Maybe when the javelin of Saul is flying, past his ear. I perhaps when the men of Keilah are ready to hand them over to the Philistines, perhaps on that occasion where his own brothers are betraying him, or even worse, when his own son Absalom has rebelled against him. Well, Psalm 12 would fit any single one of those occasions. And maybe that's the point tonight. Maybe Psalm 12 is in the Bible without a postscript or superscript telling us this is the story where it fits in David's life. Because Psalm 12 certainly is a psalm we have to run back to again and again. It wasn't just a once-in-a-lifetime thing for David. There were many occasions where he had to run to the words of Psalm 12, and God had to do a work in the man's heart and in the man's life. So we don't know precisely where Psalm 12 fits into David's story, and we don't know exactly where these events take place in his life, but there is one thing we are certain of. When Psalm 12 is penned by the hand of David, David is facing an emergency. 
It is the word of verse number one. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. It is a desperate cry. It is a helpless cry. When he looks up to heaven and says, help, Lord, it is the cry of a life in danger. It is the cry of a sinner who needs a savior. It is the cry that comes from the depths of David's soul. When there is nobody to help him now, there are no faithful men to help him. There is no faithful man to help him. David is lonely. David is facing an emergency. David is facing a crisis. David lifts up his hands to heaven and says, Lord, I need you to help me. And tomorrow is going to be too late. My father, I pray as we open the words of our God that you would stir us tonight. I pray that we would know a good old-fashioned revival of a love for the word of God. Would you please bring Grace Baptist Church and its people back to the book? Oh, in times like these, we desperately need the Bible. So I ask and I pray that our hearts would be attuned to your word. Then, my Lord, I pray if there be a man, a lady, if there be a young person tonight who has never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, how I ask that they might know salvation, not according to a church or a minister, salvation according to thy word. In Jesus' great name I pray, amen. It is a desperate cry. It is the cry of an emergency. Why, David realizes only the Lord can deliver him now. I find it interesting in verse number one, he calls on the name of his personal Savior, Jehovah. Notice he doesn't say, oh, great creator of the heavens and the earth, I know that you are able to deliver me. Notice he doesn't call on the great judge of the world and say, I, I know that you can rescue me. No, David is in a crisis in his life. David is facing an emergency. So David says, I need my Lord and my Savior, my personal Savior. I need the eternal one who is always there. I need him to save me now. Why, we look at Psalm 12 and verse number 1 and can't help but shake our head. What crisis is David speaking of? What emergency could David possibly be, be facing? Why, we well would imagine a mighty army coming after David. Perhaps David is abandoned and David is looking at a host of soldiers that are coming after him. Why, perhaps the weapons of warfare are few for him and, and great for the enemy. And David is looking at a crisis where his life is a danger. I perhaps in Psalm 12, we might imagine David in a bed of affliction where like Hezekiah, he might well have turned to the wall and said, there is no doctor that can help me now. There are no pills that will fix me now. Whatever the crisis of Psalm 12, it is something that has to be dealt with right now. Tomorrow is going to be too late. David needs his Lord and his Savior, and he needs his Lord and his Savior right now. David is facing a crisis. And it's what makes Psalm 12 all the more powerful. Because when we get to verse number 2, it is rather stunning to see the foe that David is facing. Why, we would stop at the end of verse number one and imagine an army. We would imagine a Goliath. We would imagine an angry King Saul. We would imagine a rebellious Absalom. There are different pictures of great enemies stronger than me coming after me that we would picture in verse number one. But you know, the enemy that David needs help with in verse number two, well, perhaps it catches us off guard a little bit. The battle that David is facing is the battle of people and their wicked tongues. Notice in verse number two, they speak vanity, every one with his neighbor. This is quite the stunning thing. You know, there are times when you read the Bible and you almost have to laugh and say, did the Lord write these things last night? 
It would appear that David had a problem with people over the backyard fence who were speaking vanity with their neighbor. Well, what do you know, folks? 3,000 years ago, they still had a problem with gossip and griping. Long before the internet was ever invented, well, even back in that day, the word of God tells us that the gossipers and the gripers and the complainers, before there were tweets and before there were blogs and before there were posts, who would have thought over the backyard fence the neighbors would go and they would hammer David? You can almost hear David in verse number two saying, if somebody was man enough to walk down the aisle in this palace and go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I could live with that. But oh no, David says, it's the words that I can hear. It's the words I can't deal with. It is the gossip. It is the lies. It is the rumor mill over the backyard fence. David says, neighbors are speaking to neighbors and they are stabbing me in the back. And it's starting to take effect. And David said, I need help right now. If it wasn't those who speak vanity, notice in verse number two, uh, there were others who spoke with flattering lips. That's why we might imagine in Psalm 12, David sitting in the palace of the king. Why, if it weren't the people in the kingdom that were speaking against him with their rumor mills, David says there are others, all they do is flatter all the time. And you know, the world is awfully good with its flattery, are they not? And why, whether it's true or no, somebody like David is going to constantly be surrounded by a class of flatterers, of people that are going to say, I will say what David wants to hear in hopes that is going to advance my kingdom in my prospects. And David, a man like David, a man's man like David, could say enough is enough. I am tired of the phoniness. I am tired of the flattery. You cannot trust a word they say. Here is David saying, Lord, I've got a headache this big and my blood pressure's rising through the roof. And if it's not the, the gossipers over the backyard fence stabbing me in the back, I am surrounded every day by flatterers. And all they do is tell me what they think I want to hear. If that weren't enough, how about the end of verse number two? There were those who spoke, it says, with a double heart. We used to call that in our day, speaking with a forked tongue. And David's day, I guess it was speaking with a forked heart, with a heart and a heart, a double heart do they speak. Well, somebody like King David would certainly know that because it would appear that not only did they have the social media crowd in David's day, and not only did they have the phony flattery crowd in David's day, but what do you know? It appears that they had the politician class in David's day. Those who speak with a double heart. Those who will say one thing here and one thing there. Those who, when they are in Surrey, will say one thing. When they are in Ottawa, they will say something different. The people who you cannot trust a word they say. There's always a nuance. There's always a double meaning. There's always something they say to me that's not quite what they say to him. That's not quite what they say to her. There are people you cannot trust them for a moment because they always are speaking with a double heart. And David says, I just can't take it anymore. I just don't want to hear about one more tweet. I don't want to hear about one more post. I don't want to hear one word of one more flatterer. If I never hear from a politician again, you can almost hear David say, I'll be a happy man. Lord, I just can't take it anymore. Every day is worse than the day before. It never seems to stop. It is insensate. And Lord, I need some deliverance and I need you to rescue me and I need you to rescue me right now because I can't take it anymore. He's not done. 
Notice in verse number four, the Bible tells us there were people who said, with our tongue, we will prevail. In other words, in David's kingdom, there were those who said, we will talk longer than you. We will talk louder than you. And if at the end of the day, we are still talking while you're catching a breath, that means that we have won the argument. Well, who would have thought? It would appear they had journalists and the news media back in David's day as well. So if it isn't somebody online, so to speak, gossiping and griping and stabbing David in the back in the rumor mill, then it is the phony flatterers who never seem to stop. David says there's the double talking politicians. I can't trust a word they say. And now David says there are people, they don't have to have any reason. They don't have to have any good ideas. All they have to do is just keep talking longer and louder than everybody else. And they think with my big mouth, I can prevail. And David says, Lord, I can't take it anymore. And you know, if that weren't enough, if it weren't the people over the backyard fence with their gossip, if it wasn't the flatterers or the double talkers or the longer and the louder crowd, how about the end of verse number four? There are those who said our lips are our own, who is Lord over us. I can say what I want and nobody's going to tell me what to say. My tongue belongs to me so I can curse all I want. I can use dirty profanity all I want. I can say what I want. Nobody is the Lord over my tongue. I believe we have a phrase for that in our culture, do we not? We call it trash talking. You know, there was a day when somebody would score two points in a basketball game and go play defense. Not now. They have to get in their opponent's face and they have to taunt their opponent. There was a day when someone would have an accomplishment and why they just humbled themselves. Not anymore. I people have to trash talk and let the world know how great they are. And David says, I can't take it anymore. All the coarse and all the profane language. You know, there was a day when men were so guilty of profanity and vile talk and filthy language. And yet I fear our culture has come to the place where it's not just the men who are full of vile talk and dirty words. I fear we've come to the place where the ladies are equaling the men. Excuse me, where the women are equaling the men. A gentleman doesn't use that kind of language, nor does a lady. But there are some females and some males who are so coarse and so vulgar. They don't care who may hear. They don't care who may be listening. They don't care who their big mouths may affect. They use profanity and coarse and dirty language. They blaspheme the name of God and they just don't care. And David says, Lord, I can't take it anymore. I have had it up to here with the profanity. I've had it up to here with the vile talk. I've had it up to here with the trash talk. I can't take the news media. I can't take the tweets and the posts and the blogs. I don't want to hear from the flatterers. And I just don't want to hear one more double talking politician tell me what they're going to do. David said, Lord, I just can't take it. I need you to help me. Me. I need you to help me right now. If I don't get deliverance from heaven right now, I'm just not going to make it. You know, there was something David had confidence in. There was no question and there was no doubt. He knew that one day God would take care of wicked tongues. In verse number three, please notice the future tenses. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Verse number five, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. David in his faith and in his confidence in God, he never had a question. He knew that one day the liars would have an appointment with the wrath of God, that gossipers will one day have an appointment with the wrath of God, that flatterers and double talkers and loud talkers and dirty talkers will one day have a, an appointment with the judgment of God. But the problem in Psalm 12 is David can't wait for one day. He said, Lord, I'm having a heart attack now. I can't take it now. 
I need some deliverance now. I've had it with the talk of the world now. Lord, right here and right now, I need you to help me. So while David has complete confidence that one day his God will get his right, David says, I cannot wait for one day. And so in Psalm 12, with David saying, Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, rescue me from the talk of the world. What do you know? God answers his prayer. You can almost see David get off the palace now and make his way to a side corridor. And perhaps he goes down that hallway where there's a private office. David unlocks the door, steps inside, locks it behind him. And now David sits at a desk. And what do you suppose he's going to do? He's going to scroll out a copy of the word of God because when you and I are surrounded by gossipers and you and I are surrounded by the double talkers and you and I can't take any more of the flattery and we can't take any more of the phoniness and the dirtiness and the vile talk of this world, there is only one place to go. Verse number six, the words of the Lord. What a beautiful thing. You know, we preachers love Psalm 12. It's one of our favorite text in the Bible. We love to come to Psalm 12 and get to verse number six because Psalm 12, six and seven are two mighty verses that exalt the great word of God. Ah, we love these verses. But you know, the problem, if I could use that word, is that when we go to Psalm 12, sometimes we're so quick to get to verse six that we forget to set it up with verses one to five. And yet in the day in which you and I live, why it makes it all the more powerful, does it not? Because here is David saying, I need some help from the words of the world. I need to be delivered from the language of the world. I need to be rescued from all the talk and all that goes on. And so with the world that talks and talks and talks all the more, suddenly David slips into an office and opens up the Bible and he finds the antidote to the words of the world. David says, give me the words of the Lord. They work every time. So Mr. David, help us out here 3,000 years later when you're facing a crisis of language and you can't take it anymore. How is it that the word of God works in your life? Can I give you some reasons why? Would you notice, number one, David knows that, and this is going to sound a little funny. However, the English professor at Bible College will back me up on this one. The Bible is... God's words. The Bible is God's words. Notice in verse number six, the plural, the words of the Lord. Uh, not just the idea of the Lord, not the concept of the Lord, not the philosophy of the Lord, not the wisdom of the Lord. And in this case, it doesn't even say the word of the Lord. You see, the liberal seminary professor will come to somebody like Pastor White and say, now, now Brother White, there, there really isn't much of a difference between what you believe and what I believe and, and why we both believe, do we not, that the Bible contains the word of God. Well, that's not what Psalm 12, 6 says. It is not saying that somewhere in this big book you will find a message of God. Somewhere in this great book you will find a few words that belong to God. No, sir. But every single one of the words of the Bible are the words of Almighty God. From the first in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, right down to the final amen of Revelation chapter 22. Uh, this book is not simply the wisdom of God. This book is not simply the idea of God. This book is a word of God, but even more so, every single one of the words in the Bible are the words of God. What a mighty book is the Bible. No wonder it fixes the problem.
No wonder when David says, I'm tired of the words of the people in the backyard fence. I am tired of the words of the flatterer. I am tired of the words of the double talkers. I am tired of the words of the louder and longer people. I am tired of the words of the vile trash talkers. David says, every time I open the Bible, it's like taking a spiritual shower. Why? He said, I open up this book and no matter where you open this book, you are immersed immediately in the mighty words of God. The Bible is God's words. But notice right along with that, number two, the Bible belongs to God. In verse number six, these are the words of the Lord. Thank you. But instantly the Bible tells us who owns the copyright to the word of God. Well, the Bible does not belong to the American Bible Society. The Bible does not belong to the Vatican. The Bible does not belong to some school, to some seminary, to some fellowship, to a convention. The Bible is owned by the author of the Bible. The Bible belongs to God. And this really matters. Because if you look at the title page of many of the new versions that are being produced by the seminary professors, you will notice that before you get to Genesis 1, that often in the title page, you will read some legalese that basically comes down to this. Before you can use their Bible, you need their permission. You know, there are a lot of people I would hate to be on Judgment Day, but I would hate to be a seminary professor who told people that you cannot use the Bible unless you have my permission. Brother, you don't need my permission to read and study and love the Bible. You don't need Pastor White's permission to read the study the Bible. You already have God's permission on it. And when somebody begins to copyright the words of God, when somebody begins to take ownership of the words of God, when somebody is merchandising the words of God, there is great trouble indeed. The Bible is God's words, but the Bible also belongs to God. He owns it. It is his. He is the author. He is the one who takes it in his hands. My friend, I take great comfort in the fact tonight that I hold a book in my hand that belongs to Almighty God. Let the seminarians come and go. Let the copyrightists come and go. Let the authors come and go. But when all is said and done, it is the eternal word of God that is owned by the God of heaven. The Bible belongs to him. But notice number three, the Bible is God's words. The Bible belongs to God. But number three, the Bible is pure. The words of the Lord are pure words, genuine words, clean words. Ninety different times in the New Testament, we are reminded that the Bible is pure. How pure is the Bible? Well, the Bible says in verse 6, has been purified seven times. In David's day, if you put a piece of jewelry or silver or gold through the smelting furnace once or twice, it was kind of like custom jewelry. It was pretty cheap. But if a gold or silver jewelry went through the fire seven times, it was believed that all the dross was gone. All the dirt was gone. If it went through the fire seven times in David's day, it could not be more pure. It was the highest level of purity. Absolutely pure. When my Bible has been purified seven times, it means there's no flattery in this book. There's no gossip in this book. There is no double talk in this book. There is no arrogant talk in this book. There is no vile talk in this book. All of those things are long gone. The Bible is God's word is so pure, it could not be any pure. God has given us a pure, beautiful book. 
The Bible is God's words. The Bible belongs to God. The Bible is pure, but so it's pure. Number four, it is also precious. How precious is the Bible? Well, in verse six, it's as precious as silver. How precious is the Bible? Psalm 1910. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. How precious is the Bible? Psalm 119, 72. Uh, the law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. How precious is the Bible? Psalm 119, 127. I Love thy commandments above gold, J above fine gold. The old English pastor Charles Spurgeon told that as a young preacher just taking a church, he, there was an elderly member of his church, a, a German woman, and he loved to go visit this lady. Mr. Spurgeon knew some German and he would love to practice on her a bit. And, and uh, he also would love to read her Bible. She had a Bible with huge wide margins and, and my, this elderly lady just loved the word of God. Mr. Spurgeon noted that when he went to visit this lady as a young pastor, that he would open her Bible and, and read it for a bit. And, and, and he noticed that in the flyleaf, she would write the word precious, precious, precious. When she read a verse that was precious to her, she'd make that note. When she'd read a story that was precious to her, she'd make the note. But Mr. Spurgeon noticed that as time went by, she no longer would write the word precious in her Bible. And, and one day he called her out on that. He said, you know, I, I no longer see you putting the word precious in. Uh, why is this? And the elderly lady smiled and said, well, pastor, the longer I'm saved and the older I get, the more I realize it is all precious, 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 precious words of God. I mean, it all gets better and better every day. It's really a stunning book, isn't it? There may be books in, in our library that we read once, maybe some we read twice. Maybe one might be good enough to read three times. But for many of us who've been saved for a long time, there are parts of the Bible we've read hundreds and hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times. Uh, the Bible's been read through again and again and again. Uh, there are not many books on the shelf that I'll wear out, but this is one that I need to get a new one every few years. Uh, because we use the Bible, we love the Bible, we study the Bible. And yet for all the times we read through the Bible, there's always something new tomorrow. For all the times we open the scriptures and hear it preached, there's always something, something brand new tomorrow for us that's why the bible is so precious and the longer we're saved the more precious it becomes my friend have we lost our heart for the bible i wonder if there's somebody tonight who'd say you know i just need a revival of first love for the word of god oh when i first got saved i loved the bible and i dove into the bible and i couldn't get enough of the bible but you know, as time goes by for some Christian people, I'm afraid the Bible becomes less precious. The Bible is taken for granted. Oh, folks, we talk about revival and we sing about revival. Yet what we desperately need is a revival of a love for the word of God. A revival that brings us back to the Bible. A revival that says when the word of God is read, it breaks my heart. A revival where our attention and our love is back on the word of God. The Bible is God's words. The Bible belongs to God. The Bible is pure. The Bible is precious. But I love this. The Bible is tested. Notice it is as silver tried in a furnace of earth. There were different size smelting furnaces in David's day, but the largest was the furnace of earth. There was a furnace of earth that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were tossed into. It was a furnace of earth. Well, it was the hottest coals, the highest smoke would rise from a furnace of earth. 
In other words, when it comes to the Bible, Satan's hottest coals, they have been tossed against this book. The greatest fiery attack from Satan and his forces have been launched for 2,000 years against the word of God. My friend, think of all the assaults against the Bible. In our culture, the Bible is attacked in the education system. The Bible is attacked in the entertainment system. The Bible is seemingly attacked in the political system. On every side, the word of God is assaulted. The word of God is mocked. The word of God is taunted. And yet for all the attacks against the word of God for 2,000 years, wouldn't you think by now the only place you'd ever find a Bible would be in the basement of a museum? And yet for all the assaults against the word of God, why we can look back in the last century of human history, you and I know that the Pol Pots and the Castros and, and the, the, the Mao Zedongs and the Adolf Hitlers and the Joseph Stalins, oh, there were different ideologies perhaps that they all had, but not just interesting, more than interesting, is the fact that every one of them rose to power and they, and they launched an assault against the Bible. The Bible is not welcomed in a totalitarian regime. The Bible cannot be taught to children in a totalitarian regime. The Bible is despised. The Bible is the enemy. The Bible is hated. And for any political differences those men may have had, the one thing, the one strand that would tie them all together, the Bible was disallowed in the land. For all the assaults and all the attacks and all the hatred for the word of God, how have these assaults been working out for Satan? Well, two years ago, a, a lady did a study of the best-selling book of the past 50 years. And the list is quite interesting. And of course, it had to be a top 10. Number 10 on the list was The Diary of Anne Frank. Number 8, for example, was Gone with the Wind, the sixth best-selling book of the last 50 years, The Da Vinci Code. Number 4 on the list, The Lord of the Rings. Number 3, The Works of Harry Potter. Number two, and this was a little surprising until I remembered how many universities and colleges we have in the United States, the number two best-selling book of the last 50 years, The Little Red Book of Chairman Mao. But here's the thing. You take the best-selling books of the last 50 years, start at number 10, add up 10, the, the sales of number 10, number 9, number 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, and 2. Add them all up, multiply that number by 3, and you're right about it, the number of the number one best-selling book of the last 50 years. And of course, that would be the Bible. Might I say, Brother White, that for every Bible that has been sold, there is no telling. There could be 10, there could be, 12, there could be 100 Bibles that have been distributed for free. For every Bible that is sold nowadays, why? I've been out in the jungles of Papua New Guinea and people are walking around with a phone in their hand reading the Bible. Hi, who knows how many Bibles for free? Yet the best-selling book over the last 50 years equals to almost the number of two through 10 times three. Ah, you just can't put away the word of God. Of course you can't. The modern liberal seminary professor says it's up to us to preserve God's words. God says, oh no, 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 I'll take care of this. I'll make sure that for all the attacks against the Bible, for all the assaults against the Bible, for all of Satan's war against the word of God, this book comes through shining and purified like never before because the Bible is God's words, because the Bible belongs to God, because the Bible is pure and precious and tested. But notice in verse number seven, the Bible is protected. God said, the Bible says, thou shalt keep them. 
In other words, it is the responsibility of God to set a fence around the Bible, to watch over, to retain, and protect his word. Right along with protecting the Bible in verse number 7 is the preservation of the Bible. Thou shalt not only keep or protect your word, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Thank you, but the Lord doesn't need the American Bible Society. He doesn't need a professor in a seminary. He doesn't need a Bible school. He doesn't need you and me to preserve his words. The Bible tells us God will preserve his words. And notice it was from David's generation forever and forever and forever. Which means as long as you and I are alive, God has his preserved word. Thank the Lord for the mighty preserved words of God. Oh, I know the modern seminary professor laughs. I know the modern scholars laugh. I recognize that's why there's a new paraphrase. There's a new version coming down the pike every other day, it seems. I recognize that a lot of ministers make a lot of money criticizing and condemning the Bible. But you know, for all all the assaults and all the attacks, I know that I have the words of the Lord like David did because it's not the job of a company. It is not the job of a school. It is not the job of a religious organization to guard and preserve the Bible. The Bible tells us God is going to protect this book, that God is going to preserve this book. The Bible is God's words. The Bible belongs to God. The Bible is pure. The Bible is precious. The Bible is tested. The Bible is protected and the Bible is preserved. So in verse number 8, David could say, I know the wicked walk on every side when vilest, the vilest of men are exalted. David says, I know my pagan world hates the Bible. I know by the words of their mouth, they are issuing the abundance of their heart. I know they speak the way they do because their hearts are the way they are. I know the gossipers gossip because they have a dirty heart. Flatterers flatter, flatter because they have a proudful heart. I know that the, the politicians lie because they have a lie heart. I know that the media is louder and longer because they have an arrogant heart. He said, I understand that the trash talkers speak trash because they have a heart full of trash. David says, I know that when the wicked walk on every side and vilest men are exalted, I, I know I'm going to be looking to heaven and saying, Lord, help me. Lord, spare me. Lord, rescue me. And David says, I don't need more psychology. I don't need more of men's wisdom. I don't need more of the ideas of the ministers. But he said, what I do need to do is just run into my office, lock the door, scroll out the Bible, because it is the words of the Lord that get it done. My friend, how are we doing with our Bible tonight? How's Grace Baptist Church doing with the Word of God? Maybe just what is needed is an old-fashioned revival of a love for the Word of God. How you doing with your personal Bible time? How you doing with your personal Bible study? It may be just the greatest sin of a local church where people go home on Sunday and they put the Bible up on the shelf and there it stays all week long. And then Sunday comes along, you know, we blow the dust off so we have a prop to put under our arm and carry to church. Oh, no, no. This book needs to be a part of my everyday life and not just a part of my everyday life the priority of my everyday life how you doing with your personal study how you doing folks with your bible memory program oh we know that verse right thy word have i hid in my heart that i might not sin against thee and i don't have to obey this once i hit 30 
You know, sometimes I think we feel that way. Well, and oh, my mind's not as sharp as it would be. Well, one of the best things you can do to sharpen your mind is to memorize. And there's nothing better to memorize than the Word of God. A good Bible memory program beats one a day. A good Bible memory program will sharpen your mind. Uh, uh, that's a bad excuse. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I learned a lot of Bible. Well, there's still more to learn. Uh, I learned Bible every day growing up in a good Christian family. Learn Bible every day from a good Sunday school class. Learn Bible every day from a good Bible preacher. Been memorizing the Bible every day almost of my life, my conscious life since I knew how to do it. I, I, for years, daily, every day. And you know, there's still a whole lot more Bible. Takes 26 years I learned to memorize the New Testament. And uh, boy, that's, just, that's not even half. That's just a smaller part of the Bible. I mean, a lifetime to hide God's word in your heart and there'll be plenty left for us to do in heaven. How you doing with your Bible memory? Maybe some Bible memory programs need some dust blown off of them. How you doing, dad, with a family altar where a dad sits down with the Bible and says to his children, his wife, you know, it's good that we go to a church where our pastor loves the Bible. It's a good thing that we, we have a, 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 a Sunday school teachers and youth preachers that, that love the Bible and they work with our young people. But my children need to hear the Bible from their daddy as well. How you doing with the word of God with your family altar? How you doing just loving the Bible, meditating on the Bible? What a great Bible word. You know, in our culture, the word meditate kind of means to empty your mind. Where I live in the state of Arizona, there's a city called uh, Sedona. And it's famous for the elitist crowd, the Hollywood types. They love to climb a cliff in Sedona and there they hum and hold crystals and, and they kind of empty their mind. And to us, the word meditate means empty your mind. Uh, down on this side of the border, could I tell you, I, there's, it doesn't take very long for some people. But you know, in the Bible, the word meditate does not mean empty your mind. It means fill your mind with the word of God. So to start the morning in the Bible, say, Lord, the, I carve out the first hour of that day, the first time of the day to open the Bible. But, but then, then we take some Bible, maybe in a three by five card. It stays in that pocket uh, through the day on the job, through the day at school. Out comes the Bible. We're meditating. Lord, you spoke to me this morning about this. So I will deal with it in this way. Meditating on the word of God. How we doing with the Bible? How we doing with our Bible study, our Bible meditating, our Bible memory, our family altar? How we doing with just the word of God? Oh, my friend, there's a lot of problems with the talk of the world. If I never hear one more tweet, I'll be a happy guy. If I never hear one more blog, I'll just be a happy guy. I, I, I don't like it. I've had enough of it. Uh, the flattery and the phoniness of this world, the snowflake culture that says we're just going to say what people want to hear so they will like us. If you don't like me, then I won't like you. But if you like me, then I will like you. And I want you to like me, so I will like you. But if you stop liking me, I'll stop liking you. Really? I got to tell you, folks, I remember I used to live that way. And you know what happened? I graduated in the second grade. When are we going to grow up? The phony flatteries, sick and tired of more double talk. I just don't want to hear one more promise from somebody who's not going to keep their word. I'm tired of breaking news. I'm just tired of it all. Tired of the dirtiness, the filthiness, the vile talk of this world. It's, for a child of God, it's just kind of like, it's just so, it's like, it's like rubbing your nails down a chalkboard. You know, Brother White, the sad thing is most kids have no idea what that sounds like. As a public service in a Bible college, once a year, somebody ought to run their fingernails down an old-fashioned chalkboard just so people know what that's like. And that's what the talk of this world is like for a child of God. So David said, with all the vile talk and wicked talk and dirty talk and angry talk, he said, let me just slip into the office
Let me get alone with my Bible and let the words of God melt my heart. You know, before you get to verse number one, we have the usual designation to the chief musician. Many psalms were given to the choir director, as we might call him. But this one's a little different, is it not? Because it would appear that most of the psalms were sung in Old Testament times a cappella. They would be given to the chief musician. They would sing the cantata the next week. Not this one. This was to be delivered upon the Sheminith. A sheminith was a stringed instrument, but not even a violin or a guitar. It was a multi-stringed instrument. In other words, David said, Psalm 12 is so glorious. Why, this one needs to be, the voice of the singers need to lift up the words. But Psalm 12 needs to be played by the symphony. Let a mighty song make its way towards heaven. For a people that are discouraged and afraid. For a people that are defeated and down. I let them open the mighty words of God. It is how God rescues his people from the talk of this world. My friend, if you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God's word says you need salvation according to his word. You know, the Bible tells us how a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Oh, it's laid out so beautifully, so clearly in God's word. Pastor White is a pastor of people at Grace Baptist Church with a great burden that you know Jesus Christ is your savior. It is the business of a New Testament church. My friend, if you have never called upon the name of Christ, I plead with you to bow your knee even tonight, wherever you may be. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I repent. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I am trusting Jesus and only him, the way, the truth, and the life to save me. You may say tonight, I need somebody to help me. There's things I don't understand. There are different ways to contact and get a hold of Pastor White. And, and he's ready to drop everything and have someone help you know the most important thing in the world. And that is that Jesus Christ has taken your sins away. Would you call upon the name of the Lord? You know him as your savior tonight. You say, preacher, my head is ready to explode. I just can't take it anymore. Well, David was there before you and me. And David said, when the talk of the world gets out of control, I know right where to go. Let me have my Bible, my Bible, only my Bible. It is the words of the Lord that calm the stirred up heart. Father, I pray for Grace Baptist Church tonight that there would be a revival of a love for the word of God. Help us, Lord, to love the book, to study the book, to know the book. And, and tonight, if there should be someone listening to the preaching who is not saved, would you please help them understand it is not salvation according to the religion. It is salvation according to the Bible. May they know from the Bible that they are saved. This I pray in the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you tonight. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.